Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. March 30 is commemorated as Land Day in Palestine, a commemoration for Arab citizens of Israel and Palestinians of the events of that date in 1976 in Israel. In 1976, in response to the Israeli government's announcement of a plan to expropriate thousands of Palestinians of land for state purposes, a general strike and marches were organised in Arab towns from the Galilee to the Negev. On today's program, I speak with Palestinian Noura Mansour about Land Day in Palestine this year. My name is Noura Mansour and I'm originally from Akka. Um, I am a teacher by trainer by training and I work as a community organizing and advocacy lead at APAN and also I'm a mother of two um, little boys, Rami and Razi. Wonderful, thank you and thanks for your time on the show today. March the 30th commemorated Palestinian Land Day. For people new to the struggle for Palestinian sovereignty, can you start off by explaining what this day is? Sure, Giselle. Um, Thank you for having me on on your show. Um, I think the Palestinian Land Day has a a significant um, um, point or basically signifies a turning point in the, the Palestinian history, but also in that relationship between the Palestinians in Israel and the Israeli state. Um, March 30th, 1976 is the first time after the Nakba and in 1948, um, and after 18 years of being uh, subjected to military regime, uh, it's the first time that the Palestinians in Israel actually organize, um, and the first time they clash with the Israeli institution. So um, in that sense, it's an important date in the political calendar for Palestinians because A, um, it basically, it is an embodiment of, uh, uh, you know, when we say the Palestinian cause, what what is it about? What what are the fundamental values of the Palestinians? It's the fact that it's it's one land, uh, one people and one cause. So uh, there's no better date to signify that saying um, or that statement than March 30th is um, basically when Palestinians inside Israel organized for mass protests and strike to uh, protest Israeli policies of um, ongoing expansion, expropriation of land, um, and basically aggression. And this year, 2022, what actions or protests happened on Land Day in Palestine? Um, There's been protests commemorating um, that date. Uh, not as large as normally would have been, uh, but there's been definitely activities and actions and initiatives uh, to commemorate um, and um, basically discuss the meaning of uh, of this date, and um, but also the implications of what happened in 1967 and where does the Palestinian um, community or the Palestinians inside Israel stand in terms of um, their relationship again, once again, with the Israeli state. Well, you mentioned that they were a little bit smaller this year, and I wanted to remind ourselves and listeners that in 2018, to commemorate the 70 years of catastrophe, there were daily demonstrations of up to 30,000 people from Land Day 
which is in March, all the way to Anakba, which is in May. Since then, we've had COVID, the official recognition by four Arab countries of Israel, etc. Do you think these factors have tempered the movement for Palestinian sovereignty and that some of these reasons are the factors that it is a little bit smaller this year? Um, without a doubt, I think, you know, global pandemic has had um, its toll on the movement in Palestine. Um, having said that, I think it's really hard to um, to bring down the Palestinian spirit or smooth. Um, and while it's been difficult to organize under COVID, um, I think what happens in reality is that globally, we are able to see that there is a global shift um, in support of the Palestinian cause. So, um, which means that the organizing and the advocacy and, and the movement uh, hasn't really stopped growing. And the fact that there's been a global pandemic hasn't really affected um, the movement in that sense. Um, but I think even, even with COVID, so we've seen, for instance, last year, um, we've seen protests happening in Sheikh Jarrah, uh, we still see people in Palestine and Jerusalem, for, for example, come together, um, uh, even in the month of Ramadan. Uh, we see protests happening in the West Bank, in the Sbaih Mount, um, and other areas that are, are being threatened by settlement expansion. So while, yes, there's global pandemic, but as you, as you know, um, as you might also imagine that living under occupation, like occupation doesn't take global pandemic into consideration. So it doesn't really um, give us that, you know, break um, from organizing or from uh, fighting for, uh, you know, freedom, justice and equality. Well, speaking of the um, COVID pandemic, how... How has this impacted people's lives in Palestine? I mean, you mentioned there is still an occupation, uh, which also means that there is still difficulty to get ordinary commodities into um, Palestine. So how, how are people surviving the pandemic? Um, yeah, of course, it adds another layer of, of complexity and difficulty to having um, to navigate life under occupation under global pandemic, which means you have you already have very restricted access to commodities. So if you're in Gaza, you're living under siege. There's two million Palestinians who uh, literally, you know, um, their diet is being controlled. The calories, uh, their calorie intake is being counted by Israeli government. So imagine having to live that on top of a global pandemic. Uh, which means you have very um, little, even in narrower access to um, medical supplies, to food supplies, um, hospitals, electricity, and all of that. So clearly that further complicates things. Um, uh, vaccine, the question of, you know, uh, how, how accessible it is for Palestinians. Um, we've seen that also um, in, in the news a couple of times, um, a couple of years ago when the vaccine started that Israel has tried to kind of prevent and limit the, um, the amount of vaccine toolkits that Palestinians are allowed to have. So everything is being, again, controlled um, uh, within, you know, the, the parameters that the Israeli occupation basically decides. 
And do you have any um, estimation of the number of Palestinians with COVID? Do you um, have any estimation of the number of deaths? I mean, we talk about Gaza as one of the most densely populated areas of the world. I imagine if there's an outbreak, that is quite catastrophic. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think um, it has been catastrophic, but um, maybe one aspect as well that um, because Gaza is somewhat um, blocked from the rest of the world, so that kind of slowed uh, COVID, uh, slowed the time in which COVID has reached Gaza, but yet still once it did, then we've we've had, we've seen devastating effects on, on hospitals, um, and uh, on people as well. So, um, so far, I think we've had uh, 5,655, uh, around that number, deaths. Um, yeah, over 656,000 uh, total cases. So, yeah, and we're talking about very limited and small uh, demographics as well. Yeah. And just returning to Land Day then, in the lead up to Land Day this year, Israel hosted the summit for the Abraham Accords. Now, these accords, just to remind the listeners, um, it was a 2020 Trump initiative. It resulted in the normalization of relations between Israel and three Arab countries, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain and Morocco. Can you tell me what happened during the summit? Was there a period of heightened protest activity? Yeah, um, yes, so the summit basically that took place recently in the Naqab, so it took place in the land, um, and the Naqab is, you know, like land that where Palestinian Bedouins live in, and um, normally there's uh, many unrecognized villages and towns there, which means that people, Palestinians who live in the Naqab don't have any infrastructure, don't have um, electricity or medical facilities, uh, so these are people who live um, you know, again, within um, the territories of 1948, within the Green Line, meaning um, Israel today. So um, the Naqab summit happened actually in an, in an area close to um, Ben Gurion's um, uh, tomb, uh, which also symbolizes, you know, the um, basically humiliation that Israel is trying to kind of, uh, um, uh, it, you know, is trying to impose on uh, Palestinians, but also on those like Arab ministers and autocrats who uh, have attended the summit, because they're basically taking them, uh, they're meeting in this place where there's unrecognized Palestinian villages, but also they're taking them to a quote unquote pilgrimage trip to Ben Gurion's tomb. And Ben Gurion, as we know, he's the architect and um, the, the executor of the Nakba. Uh, so um, there's, uh, you know, that kind of symbolism that Israel just does not miss uh, any chance to humiliate Arabs. Um, so they start with the venue. Um, but then, uh, so this summit also doesn't happen in vacuum. Um, the Naqab recently, Israeli government has been um, promoting and advancing plans to further um, basically remove uh, Palestinian Bedouins from the Naqab uh, so that they can build uh, you know, settlements for um, Jewish Israelis, but also they're trying to kind of use the greenwashing um, argument as well. So what they're saying is that they wanna evacuate these unrecognized villages so that they can plant forests 
um, instead, um, you know, for environmental causes. So we see, you know, greenwashing being played out by the Israeli government uh, as an excuse to further uh, dispossess Palestinians in the Nakab. Um, but then, then let's talk a little bit more about that summit, uh, per se, and the fact that um, so who attended the summit, right? We have foreign ministers of Bahrain, uh, Egypt, Morocco, and the UAE. So all these Arab countries, uh, you know, as well as the US um, um, foreign minister as well. But all these Arab countries, Arab leaders who attended, they are um, either, you know, uh, dictatorships, they're monarchs, they're people uh, who are trying to maintain um, to, or maintain power and stay um, in their basically position, despite all attempts of their people to basically get rid of them. So we have pretty much, you know, similar to the, <laughs> the Israeli um, uh, institution that is, uh, it's not a human rights friendly um, leadership, um, if, you, if we put it that way. Um, but what, what this summit has done is basically um, advanced Israel's role as a leading power in the Middle East, or basically more specifically in the Arab world. So these, these countries, uh, UAE, Bahrain, um, and, and Egypt, for instance, so they have a specific, they have this a common goal uh, with Israel, which is to prevent um, Iranian um, nuclear program, really, or ambitions. So that's where they meet, um, that's where they intersect. Uh, we've got, you know, Morocco, for instance, they have also other um, political ambitions with the uh, with the Western Sahara. Um, so everyone is in there um, using um, basically co or uh, jumping on that uh, bandwagoning, basically jump, jumping on that uh, wagon of normalization for political gains. Uh, the UAE. Um, we're interested in American F-35 fighter jets, uh, Bahrain, um, you know, for advanced technology and intelligence uh, to counter the Iranian threat, um, for instance. Um, as I mentioned, the Moroccan case, we've got um, the Western Sahara, uh, which, you know, the minute they basically uh, agreed to normalize with Israel, we saw a massive shift in the US position uh, as they recognize the sovereign, the Moroccan sovereignty over that uh, that area, so yeah, it's a political game. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. On today's program, I speak with Palestinian Nora Mansour about the ongoing movement for Palestinian sovereignty, particularly as we pass Land Day, which is commemorated on the 30th of March. I want to move to a, a very important um, occasion on the region's calendar. Uh, I want to say, firstly, that Palestinians that are Muslim, the majority are Muslim, but not the totality of Palestinians, are currently fasting for Ramadan. It usually signifies a period of heightened violence by Israel. What have we seen so far? Um, yeah, so I think. Uh... Ramadan or any significant dates. Um, yes, we, there's that feeling that there's some escalation uh, from the Israeli side. But in fact, um, I, I think in reality, like um, 
everything that Israel does is an escalation because the the um, the ongoing ethnic cleansing and expansionate policies haven't really stopped. So it's an ongoing process, and every day there there's something that is being done that we don't that doesn't necessarily reach the headlines. Um, so in that sense, uh, it's an ongoing process. But what happens is that in these dates, um, it, it, it tends to be that sometimes the Palestinians are, um, you know, whether they're reacting or responding, whether it's a reactionary or something that is being organized. Um, so th that's not always clear. Um, but, you know, in, in this period of time, uh, there's definitely more incitement from the Israeli um, side. And we can see that, for instance, when um, um, on the far extreme, extreme far right, um, politicians like Ben Gvir, for instance, they keep insisting on visiting Al-Aqsa compound every Ramadan. So there's clear acts of incitement that happen on, on these significant dates. Uh, for instance, this year we've seen as a continuation, and that's against, as I was saying, because there's context to it. So there was um, some clashes happening happening in the Naqab, and then as well as in the West Bank, and we've been seeing assassination of, uh, you know, young Palestinians um, in the Naqab, for instance. You know, the Israeli soldiers are so empowered and, and emboldened so that they can get in um, Hebron and just shoot young Palestinians in, in broad daylight. Um, so these things, these events have been happening and as an accumulation, we see that, um, but also as a reaction to that summit, right, because everything is, is linked. So there's, on that official level, there is that uh, uh, growing wave of normalization where we see um, Arab leaders cozying up to Israel and Israeli politicians, but on the ground, what is happening is that uh, the people have been reacting in the complete opposite way. So we could see, you could see the, the dissonance and the gap between where um, the official level uh, of Arab countries and even, even the Palestinian Authority stands versus the Palestinian people and Arab uh, and people in the Arab countries and neighboring countries as well. So while this summit is happening on the ground, we have uh, people, you know, organizing and protest, but also just random acts uh, of, of um, um, refusal and, re and rejecting um, Israeli aggression and these basically uh, normalization deals. And then uh, I just want to um, look a, a little bit more broadly than the region for a moment and ask you if you think the war in Russia and Ukraine is having any effect on politics in Palestine and the sovereignty movement? Yes, I think so. I think um, the war in Ukraine, in Ukraine um, has been um, basically confirming or reaffirming for Palestinians' uh, right to basically demand equal rights, uh, for the Palestinians' right to demand, um, uh, you know, um, to be treated as 
basically equal human beings who deserve to live in peace, who deserve the right to uh, defend themselves and their children, who um, have the right to demand an end to their Ill illegal occupation. So the, wor the world, it's not just for Palestinians, by the way, I think it's for um, everyone around the world who has been following up the news um, in Ukraine. And you, can, you can't help but make those um, comparisons. Um, you know, there, it, we, we even had a case where they used the picture of Ahed Tamimi, the Palestinian activist from Nabi Saleh. And, um, you know, they used they use her picture as an Ukrainian girl fighting a Russian uh, soldier. And that was celebrated and glorified, whereas the same picture, when it was used in the context of Palestine, Ahed was called a terrorist and Ahed was in, uh, imprisoned for um, for a few months for basically uh, defending her home from Israeli soldier. So uh, we no, no one could um, look the other way anymore and we can no longer ignore the fact that the world uh, does treat the Palestinians um, as um, un not equals. It's just that, you know, the, the, specifically the West um, and, and Europe and the US, um, they simply just don't think of the Palestinians as equal human beings who have the right to demand freedom and justice and, um, you know, just safe livelihood, basically. Have there formed natural anti-war alliances between those resisting the war in Ukraine and those fighting for freedom in Palestine? There's definitely definitely been some solidarity calls uh, from like um, solidarity statements, I would say, from Palestinians in Palestine, but also worldwide, even in diaspora, um, uh, supporting the Ukrainian people. Um, not not Ukrainian politicians, because <laughs> we all know where they stand politically on Palestine, but definitely, you know, um, in support of the Ukrainian people and in the in support of Ukrainian refugees and their right to return home. So um, there has been that kind of show of solidarity coming from the Palestinians. Um, I guess, yes, in addition to the fact, you know, that um, once again, they're saying, you know, free Palestine, free Ukraine. It's, you know, war is war and people should not um, be put in a position where they have to flee their houses or they have to carry weapon uh, to defend their homes. Well, Nora, thank you so, so much for your time. I think we come to the final question that I always like to ask, which is where to from here? You know, we are seeing violent conflict all over the planet, a world ravaged by this pandemic, climate change only getting worse by the, the war. Where to for the Palestinians? Um, I think the Palestinians um, and the Palestinian cause is only going to gain more support um, among the grassroots worldwide. As we can see most recently with Amnesty International's report that basically um, details all the ways in which Israel um, um, enacts uh, apartheid, the crime of apartheid on all 14 million Palestinians. So they addressed Palestinians in Gaza, in the West Bank in 1948, uh, meaning Israel and in the diaspora. So uh, I think we're, um, you know, we're headed somewhere where it's definitely the new world is going to be more supportive of Palestinians' rights, uh, at least on the grassroots level. 
and I think for Palestinians, it's important to, to work uh, on a united um, plan moving forward um, to develop perhaps a vision that um, uh, involves all 14 million Palestinians uh, and, and make it possible for all these 14 million Palestinians to be involved in the decision making for their uh, right uh, to self-determination and basically crafting whatever future Palestine or how their right of return might look like. Um, and that is something that, that we need to do together, all of us. So it's important that we tackle that issue. It's important, I think, uh, that we envisage a future for all Palestinians, a solution that addresses um, all 14 million Palestinian. And also it's important to make sure that representation in Palestine does reflect all Palestinians um, inside and outside of Palestine. So I think um, that that should be the way or would be the way forward for Palestinians. That was Noura Mansour about the ongoing movement for Palestinian sovereignty, particularly as we pass Land Day, which is commemorated on the 30th of March. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kunjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.